Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, we run down a Super Bowl that was won on a play named after cartoon legends, and we reminisce about some of the greatest stories in Super Bowl history. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, we're back. I have very stiff pieces of paper, notes everywhere, laptop, iPad, Super Bowl champion board is in front of me. Uh, Something I found uh, a couple years ago because the last one on there is the last Super Bowl that featured the 49ers and the Chiefs. Yeah, it's Super Bowl 54. But hey, we're here post-Valentine's Day. Hope you guys had a good one. We delayed the show on purpose. I hope you enjoyed it. Took my wife and my daughter out. It was great. But enough of that. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. The show is for all of you, everybody. Uh, and if you already know this stuff, congratulations. But always remember, this is what I always tell you. There's always someone else who does not know as much about NFL history. That's why I'm here. So we are here to do this. Enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast. <laughs> we are on Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr., presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, and a part of the Belly Up Sports podcast network. Check us out on belly, bellyupsports.com. Also, the favorites, our home base is Megaphone. You could check us out on all the favorites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more, as well as YouTube. But first and foremost, before I get uh, started, I'd like to send out my condolences to the families uh, that were all affected at that shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Parade, and especially the family of Lisa G., the radio host that was lost during that tragic shooting um, at the parade. And also my my prayers are with the 22 people that were reported that were injured, they were wounded and affected, and the families of those affected by this shooting, most of whom turned out to be kids, 16 and under. That's crazy. Um, uh, that that it, was, it was senseless, and I hated uh, seeing that, hearing about that. It, it was That was awful. Uh, prayerfully. Uh, we can not have that happen ever again. Um, anyway, so getting before the rundown, I always do the takeaways. I'm just going to make this simple because I'm I'm back out on the road now and I get to listen to a little bit more chatter from the sports radio host. And the, and you, I'm reading, obviously, as always, and I'm seeing things on television. Look, all I can say is hindsight is always 2020. We always jump the gun on some things, and sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're dead wrong. Sometimes you need to go back and rewatch things. But I will say this. We never want to give credit way down the line, all right? We never want to give credit till years later when we realize who a team, a player, a coach was playing against. In this case, a dynasty. With that being said, here's the Super Bowl 58 rundown. San Francisco 49ers. Kansas City Chiefs, Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas, Nevada, 
You know, CBS, they had their own version of The Hangover. Nate Borson, he's missing a tooth. Phil Simms is walking around in his drawers uh, and his Giants jersey. Boomer has the Super Bowl 58 logo tattooed on his forehead. Coach Cowher, I believe he was like in his pajamas. TJ Watt, he's ready to go to a workout. JB is dressed in a suit, ready to call the game. I'm watching all of this as I'm preparing my Super Bowl food, all right? Um, but uh, look, it was an interesting watch. It was a fun watch. And I understand that the first half was pretty boring. You had a Super Bowl record, seven field goals in this game. And it was featuring one kicker who easily, uh, with Harrison Booker of the Chiefs, established himself as the NFL's best kicker and had several games where he was the offense for the Chiefs, a good, good part of it. And then you got the 49ers kicker, Jake Moody, who had his inconsistent moments uh, during the season. But hey, it's what it is. Now, after having watched the game to completion, I need to go back and watch it again, but, uh, and having seen and heard everything that I've had, the opinions and, the, and really measuring the facts, and I'm gonna tell you this right now, Chris Sims unbuttoned, he's a guy, I'll, he knows what he's talking about. He studies the film. He doesn't necessarily jump the gun on stuff, but he breaks down stuff and he literally, I listened to an hour and 45 minutes of him breaking down the game after he was there sitting in the seat and commented on it and then went back and watched the game all over again and seen it from the television perspective. I go with what he says because I've seen a lot of the same things that he was talking about and understand where it was coming from. Um, look, I did think about doing a quick brainstorm of what everybody has talked about th with this game and the key moments and the key plays, and I did that. You know, the Offensive Player of the Year fumbles on the opening drive, followed by a running back that fumbles after not having put it on the ground all year long, which prompted a future Hall of Fame tight end running over his coach just about to say, get me the ball, I'll score. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, you got a, a Peter Peter, a failed Peter Peter, but punt. Uh, and I mean, offensive player of the year only has two touches in the third quarter. You got a freak blown Achilles in the second quarter. You got two Super Bowl record field goals. And then a blocked extra point. Unknown overtime rules, supposedly. A defensive holding penalty that kept the drive alive. Barely heard anybody saying much about that. And then you have an unblocked all-pro. And then Tom and Jerry used to be called Corn Dog. Anyway, with everything that was talked about, this much is true. San Francisco did not take full advantage of their opportunities. They controlled a majority of this game. They did. You know, but you know what happened. And I always refer to if you watch this game from the perspective of a fan who's rooting, let's just say you were you were rooting against Patrick Mahomes. You know, if this guy gets this ball back with only this much time left, he's going to do it. It's just that simple. Yeah, he just went into beast mode at the end of that game. It's almost like you're surprised if they don't do it. If he throws an interception or like Steph Curry, there's times in the past, especially in the past, when he takes a three and he doesn't make it. Yeah. Kansas City's first half drives went like this. San Francisco didn't take advantage of punt, punt, fumble, punt, field goal. And Mahomes eventually made them pay. First half, I'm not going to go too deep into the numbers and minutia, but Maybe I will a little bit. But the game began. Christian McCaffrey, he has two carries for 17 yards. And he one of them, uh, and then he eventually fumbles after five plays before San Francisco got a surprising Super Bowl record 55-yard field goal from their rookie Jake Moody. And this happens in the second quarter. The following drive, Nico Hardman, he catches a bomb from Mahomes, covering 52 yards all the way to San Francisco's nine-yard line. But then Isaiah Pachinko, Coughs it up. 49ers recover. And then that got Travis Kelsey, who was subbed out during that play, literally nearly knocking over his head coach, Andy Reid, to say, please, don't, don't take me out of the game. Give me the football. Second quarter, 49ers defense, they're getting ready to run onto the field. If you were watching at home, which most of you were, Jim Nance comes back out of commercial and says, folks, you will not believe this. And then there's the video of Dre Greenlaw he's jumping up and down then he goes to run out on the field with the rest of the defense and he, he blows his Achilles I mean really and then you hear the 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 audio um where Mahomes is like 57 is out 57 57 is out and and Kyle Shanahan is like did Dre just blow his Achilles just running out onto the field and yeah 
He did. That's that is that is bonkers. You know, but San Francisco, they eventually they score on a trick play. Jawan Jennings, who throws one, throws the ball to uh Christian McCaffrey. He runs the 21 yards for a touchdown with what four minutes and 23 left to go before the half. And then um, you know, it's to be noted, in addition to Greenlaw being out for the game, you had Debo Samuel to reactivate his hamstring. Guard John Feliciano, he aggravates an elbow injury. George Kittle, particularly in the fourth quarter, you know, he went out with a shoulder. But, you know, he's among these other players that were in and out of the lineup because they were hurt. No excuse, but you have to note that. Mahomes, they drove 13 play, takes 13 plays, and then the defense for the 49ers kept them out of the end zone uh, yet again. And then uh, they had to settle for another bucket field goal. Kansas City is only down 10-3 at the half, and they're not playing very well. And you also have to remember just how great those defenses were. Yeah, the first half was boring. But you had two really great defenses with all pros and pro bowlers on both sides. Um, halftime show was great. I loved Usher's star-studded halftime show. You know, he was a little bit too, uh, well, I don't want to say too close to Alicia Keys. He was in uh, Alicia Keys. <laughs> And you had Lil John and Ludacris coming out, along with Usher looking like they was with Globo Jim. We're better than you and we know it. Yeah. And then you had her with the guitar riff. Oh, it was beautiful. And Will I Am. And then Jermaine Dupree. I don't know. Was he a pirate? Church mother? Eddie Munster? A signer of the Declaration of Independence? I have no idea. I don't understand the socks, man, with the ruffles. If you did not see his socks, just Google it. Jermaine Dupree, shoe, socks. If you haven't seen it by now, I mean, you're not missing anything. I just want to know who told him that was okay. But second half, third quarter, it was all Chiefs. You had a third down to 12 on Kansas City. Their opening drive, Mahomes throws an interception. You don't convert any points from that, San Francisco. Not great. Purdy, two incompletions. You had a false start. Purdy scrambles, you know, punt. They ran three plays for minus one yard. Harrison Bucker, he breaks Moody's uh, one-quarter old Super Bowl record with a 57-yard field goal. And then San Francisco at one point had zero first downs, only minus one yard passing in the third before they got it going towards the end of the quarter. Uh, Kansas City's fifth punt of the game, Ray Ray McLeod, I'm sure he's calling Peter Peter, thought he probably could have caught the ball, but this was the key play in the game, the entire game. It goes off the up man's leg. What was his name? Um, Daryl Lauder Jr. Kansas City recovers. One play later, MVS makes his first catch of the game, and it was for a touchdown. And then Kansas City's up three points. Um, Purdy goes to work. He throws the touchdown pass to Juwan Jennings, but Moody literally kicks the football into not one guy, but two guys' hands in the line. Barely got over the helmets of the players in front of them. So they didn't really even have to jump. Extra point is blocked. And it's only 19, excuse me, 16-13 San Francisco going into the, well, they're in the fourth quarter by now. And both teams, they trade field goals. San Francisco, he's got, they've got the 19-16 lead. There's 3.53 left to go in the game. And then the key play with two minutes left to go in the fourth quarter was Trent McDuffie being the all-pro cornerback. All right, note that. For the fans that were upset with Purdy or the, yeah, they were being, let me not overstep my bounds. Let, let me, let me, let me, let me slow down. McDuffie was going on the blitz. Yet another one of those blitzes that Steve Spagnola had dialed up in the second half that really affected the 49ers offense. And, you know, he knocks the ball down on third and five. Purdy can't complete the ball. So, one touchdown Kansas City scores was on that month, month punt, right? You know, they give up another score here, and that's curtains. Fred Warner, Joey Bosa, uh, Chase Young, Eric Armstead, that they were doing their job. Javarius Ward, Lenore, Jair Brown, and Gibson. They, they were doing their job for the most part, but they could not stay on the field the way they were. I know that they were wore out. You had to know that they were wore out. But they just need a little more offensive help. They did. Purdy played fine. But you also have to understand the Chiefs defense, again, another one of the better ones in the entire league, not to mention having two lockdown corners, McDuffie and LeJarius Sneed. 
uh, couple that along with the fact that Debo Samuel, not the best route runner in the world, <laughs> he's not, does not do well against the better cover corners in the league. Evan, yeah, he had 11 targets. He only caught three passes for 33 yards. And yes, Purdy did miss on some of those throws. The Chiefs defense didn't necessarily get turnovers off of Purdy. I think he may have only been sacked once, but there was pressure there. And then the coverage was pretty excellent for the most part, but he did miss some throws. If he makes, I'll just say, three of those throws, maybe we're not even talking. You know, maybe we're not even talking. And then there's Brandon Ayuk, three catches for 49 yards. Same thing. Get Christian McCaffrey the ball. Well, he had eight catches for 80 yards. He ran for 80 more. But here's the key. 22 carries. He only averaged barely just over three and a half yards a carry. His first two carries went for 17 yards. That left 20 more. He only had 63 yards the rest of the game. So it wasn't like he was chunking it away. So, yeah, they kind of had to lean on Brock Purdy a little bit. Yeah, force it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there were some plays that were missed. All right. Chris Jones and the boys, they weren't messing around either. And all these things, well, in fact, Patrick Mahomes and offense, they were gifted that field position for those touchdowns, for the touchdown in the third quarter. And then the interception thrown by Mahomes in his own territory. They formed five times. They only lost one. But still, that, that Niners defense, there was just a great defensive battle if you really look at it. All right. All Mahomes does, including being perfect the rest of the game, he drives Kansas City to another Butker field goal. They tie the game with only seconds to go. You got the second overtime game in Super Bowl history since Shanahan was the OC for Atlanta against the Patriots. Shanahan takes the ball. Many people thought that that was a mistake uh, because the way Mahomes was playing. Well, maybe because the way Mahomes was playing is the reason why you want the football. I don't know. Um, but the new overtime rules, some of the 49ers didn't know. Some, some Supposedly, some of the Chiefs didn't know. But then you had a lot of Chiefs was like, yeah, we knew that all along. And they were more prepared. I haven't heard many people talk about the third and 13 incompletion by Brock Purdy that was erased by Trent McDuffie defensive holding during that last drive the 49ers had. It kept their drive alive. Third down and four from Kansas City's nine-yard line. You knew San Francisco was going to score. You just knew it, right? Well, until they forgot to block an all-pro defensive lineman, Chris Jones. You got to block him. Brandon Ayuk was open, and uh, Juwan Jennings was obviously the target on that play. And Purdy had zero time. Incomplete. Moody kicks the field goal. And then Kansas City gets the ball back 75 yards later on 13 plays. Mahomes accounted for 69 of those yards. 69. He's running the football. You got the fourth down play in which he keeps it and runs for eight. That was that was probably the big, that was obviously the biggest play. And then you got first and goal, San Francisco's three-yard line. Andy Reid calls the play. He talked about this with Peter King. Tiger 12. Tom and Jerry Wright, gun trips, right? Bunch F shuttle. The play that won the previous Super Bowl used to be called Corn Dog. Now it's called Tom and Jerry. Slightly different variation, same play. Mahomes rolls to his right, hits a wide open Miko Hardman for the game winning touchdown pass. And just like that, the Kansas City Chiefs are a dynasty. Mahomes made magic happen when Kansas City played one of their worst games on offense. And, you know, defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo called a almost perfect game in the second half. Another great one. And all of these games that they were underdogs in, every last one of them. Andy Reid, <laughs> he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, period. Look at the list of everybody that's in the Hall of Fame that he's along with. Belichick, six. These are the titles. These are the wins. Belichick has six. Noel and Walsh, uh, four, and then three. Walsh, Gibbs, they have three. Now Andy Reid also has three. That's more than Vince Lombardi, who had two Super Bowl championships. Of course, he won more than that. He won three championships in a row in one point. So he has like a total of four, I believe it is. Um, Tom Flores, two. Jimmy Johnson, two. You know, Seifert, Shanahan, Coughlin, Parcells, Landry Shuler, they all have two. And there's Hall of Fame company that's on this list, you know, to go with some of these guys. Patrick Mahomes, games MVP. 34-46, 333 yards, two touchdowns, and then he had the one interception, and he led Kansas City in rushing with 66 yards, the most by a quarterback in Super Bowl history. 
you know, so and then that key eight yard run on fourth and one, he told them, I'm keeping this if it's there. You know, it, it was it was like a zone read play. Quarterbacks with three Super Bowls in their first seven seasons, Troy Aikman and Tom Brady. Yeah, they're in the Hall of Fame. Fourth quarterback to win three. Add Joe Montana to that, as well as Aikman and Brady. Mahomes is on that list. First back-to-back champs since the 03-04 New England Patriots. They're going for three. Chiefs 25, 49ers 22. Whew, long rundown. It was the Super Bowl. <laughs> Coming up next, we get to reminisce about some of the greatest stories in Super Bowl history. My best friend uh, texted me after the game and said, so does Kadarius Tony get a ring? He said, does Tony get a ring? I said, yeah, he will. We'll probably flush it down the toilet or pawn it. <laughs> Kadarius Tony was a, a healthy scratch. He had a baby, plus from what you was hearing, basically they, they didn't want him dropping any passes or any more passes. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, but uh, the 49ers... Just finishing up my little spiel on the game. Um, they didn't lose the game. Patrick Mahomes simply just won it. I still maintain, um, as far as opinion making, I don't like tearing down players in sports. I understand it and things like, or coach. I understand it. I understand the business. Block Purdy played well in the game. He was not the reason that they lost. And I will say this. You get one chance to erase doubt with some people. Uh, he may get another down the line. Um, but there were some plays, obviously, that he missed. And when he does that, you have those doubters instantly go, see, I told you, you know, he, he's, he's just a guy or he's just this. He's just, well, like I said last week, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm just one that likes to enjoy the story. And after the game is over, there's still a story there. They didn't win the Super Bowl, but the 49ers with the quarterback that was the final pick in the draft that happened to be in the same city in which he was drafted last, 262, um, who knew that that would happen? They hosted the Super Bowl. Who knew that that would happen? He would be the guy. But we still don't know if this kid will be great, good, just fall through the map. We don't know. We have no idea if Brock Purdy will be a, a Hall of Famer, be just a serviceable starter, um, end up being one of those guys that was good only because of the coaching because he ends up going to another team and then maybe bouncing around as a backup and then he just disappears ultimately. But I feel worse for Kyle Shanahan. He's the first one that I started feeling bad for. Um, it's third time being up. And having chances and being on the losing end of that. Um, he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. Dan Quinn has the autonomy, at least he should have had the autonomy if he did not. <laughs> He's head coach, you know. Uh, Kyle, run the football. That's all they had to do, right? <laughs> There's stories before the game, during the game, and after the game. Now, certainly the media would give you storylines like the one that would have been if San Francisco had won on Sunday. They talked about it already. But the storyline for the Chiefs is definitely watching history in the making and the way that it planned out because the game was best in the fourth quarter and in overtime. That's when things ratcheted up and made you sit on the edge of your seat. Not a bunch of field goals. Even though there were plays during the game, that will be talked about for years. Okay? Um, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, they're all going to the Hall of Fame. That There's no doubt. You know, they're all going to the Hall of Fame. Um, what was the storyline going to be? Uh, that was already pre-told through the media before the Super Bowl was even played. What would have been the storyline after the fact? Well, you had Kyle Shanahan and Christian McCaffrey matching their fathers when it came to the possibility of becoming the first father-son tandems on the same teams to become Super Bowl champs. What's ironic is that Kyle was a ball boy on the sidelines behind his father, Mike Shanahan, then the head coach of the Denver Broncos when they beat Green Bay in Super Bowl 32. Um, the Broncos were the sentimental favorites. I might as, well say, might as well say John Elway was the sentimental favorite against the defending champions, three-time NFL MVP, Brett Favre. Kyle was in grade school when Elway was getting his head beat in three times in four years in the Super Bowl against the Giants, Washington, and San Francisco. Each time, each year, the score got worse. 39, well, uh, what was it? 
39 to tw- uh to 20 and then 42 to 10 and then still a Super Bowl record today 55 to 10 you lost by 45 points that's a lot and that's that that hurts you keep getting there and the miraculous things that were happening for them to get there I think made it even worse right so you know each year the score got worse and that's that's why at the trophy presentation when the Broncos won it in uh, Super Bowl 32 that 97 won it they go uh, Broncos owner at the time God rest his soul Pat Bowling goes this one's for John and then they go back to back they beat the Falcons in 33 and Bowling goes to the fans this one's for you Bowling you know had passed away John Elway is now in the front office as the GM I believe with the Broncos when they win Super Bowl 50 against the Carolina Panthers he goes this one's for Pat you know <laughs> so I mean that was great David Tyree <laughs> back in 2007 for the New York Giants my dude only caught four passes for 35 yards for the entire season you know he had three ca- uh, catches in that 2007 was 2008 Super Bowl that January of that year when they beat the undefeated New England Patriots he had three catches in that game including a fourth quarter touchdown uh, that put the Giants up 10 to 7 and, but the crazy part is is afterwards he had zero for the rest of his career you know 2008 he was on IR and 2009 he played with Baltimore what 10 games and you know what uh, and he didn't catch a pass he caught no more passes the rest of his career after that helmet catch in the Super Bowl my guy David Tyree never caught another pass Super Bowl 32 Terrell Davis he had a migraine so bad that he could not see just before halftime I believe of that game in Super Bowl 32 he couldn't see he goes to the th- look at NFL films he goes to the sideline tells Mike Shanahan hey I can't see say hey, well I, I, I still need you in there so you because they won't believe we're gonna run if you're not in there because it was a play action pass <laughs> uh, which they did score on the play and uh, he couldn't even see one of the offensive players starters that was on that Super Bowl winning team with Mike Shanahan was wide receiver Ed McCaffrey. If you look at a little bit of the history behind Mike Shanahan, Kyle's father, um, he would, goes all the way back a little bit further than that those 90s Broncos teams. He goes all the way back to 1980s, right? 1984, he actually started off as the wide receivers coach for the Denver Broncos up under Dan Reeves. Um, the next year, from 85 to 87, he was actually the offensive coordinator in Denver. And he did bring a little bit... Uh, he brought a little more creativity to the offense um, in John Nelway, and that was great. Um, and then, of course, he ascends to being a head coach with the L.A. Raiders in 1988 and 89. And this is after he's the offensive coordinator in two of those Super Bowls, uh, two of those Super Bowl losses. Um, then, in 1990, because he got fired by Al Davis, he goes back to being a quarterback coach in Denver. Then goes back to being the offensive coordinator the next year. He moves on uh, from 92 to 94 as the offensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers. A record-setting offense with Steve Young and Jerry Rice. John Taylor's still there as well. Ricky Waters. And they had a great offense. And uh, one of the backups, uh, backup receivers that was brought in that year was Ed McCaffrey. 6'5" wide receiver played for 13 years in the NFL. He was a third round pick by the New York Giants and played there from 91 to 93. He did win a ring with San Francisco in 94 before moving on as a free agent in 95 with the Denver Broncos. Of course by then you had Shanahan ascend to being the head coach. 97, 98 they're back to back Super Bowl champions. Uh, that That's you know that's pretty cool. It would have been great had you, San Francisco won that game, like they they should have won that game, but they didn't do enough, clearly, right? Then there's the curious story that I had no idea about, about Ricky Pro and kicker Adam Vinatieri. I never noticed this before. 
Pro ended up on two different teams that did lose to the New England Patriots. He's 0 for 2 against them, and he scored both touchdowns that would tie the games. Super Bowl 36, he's with the Rams. He ties the game at 17, uh, catching a 26-yard, I believe it was, from Kurt Warner. They tie the game at 17. And then, of course, Brady drives down, and it's the beginning of a dynasty after Vinatieri nails the field goal to win 20 to 17. In Super Bowl 38, <laughs> they tie the game at 29 after being down. And then Jake DeLome, he catches fire and finishes with over 300 yards passing. And then his last touchdown pass was to Ricky Pro. And uh, they're tied at 29. And of course, Vinatieri again nails another field goal with no time remaining to win that game 32 to 29 and it ruined both touchdowns scored by pro and uh, apparently they ended up being teammates in 2006 with the Indianapolis Colts and it's funny he asked him uh, Vinatieri asked pro you hate me don't you <laughs> and pro says yeah I do but you're such a good guy, I can't hate you. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was really, really interesting. But let's take it all the way back to Super Bowl One. Super Bowl One, the first, this is my favorite story, really, all time. Uh, I thought it was really, really funny. But, uh, and I've, I've told this before. Again, you probably know this one already. The first Super Bowl, uh, this is versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Max McGee is... Uh, 34-year-old wide receiver. He had been a fifth-round pick back in 1954. He's been with the Packers now for, what, 12 years? This is 12th year. So he had been a, a pro bowler before, uh, and he's been their receiving leader for, you know, he caught a lot of passes, you know, going through his career, was a starter. But, you know, 1966, he's 34. He only had four catches for the whole year and had 91 yards. Uh, you know, he's he's not playing probably in this game. At least that's what he was thinking. Miss Lombardi, he wants he obviously is saying this is there's a curfew. We really have to be tight. Remember, these are the days when they were being challenged by the AFL, but it had already been decreed that they were merging in 1970. But they were out to the Green Bay Packers and the NFL to prove that they were just so much better than the AFL. Um, there was a curfew. I think it was around 10 p.m. curfew. I'm not sure. But both McGee and then future Hall of Fame running back, halfback Paul Horning, they weren't playing very much. They weren't going to play in this game. They didn't think so. And by the way, Paul Horning was the only Packer not to see the field. And so what did they do? They go out on the town. They go out uh in, in Hollywood the game was in the LA Coliseum they were in Los Angeles it was going to be a $10,000 fine crazy thing is the assistant coach does the bed, bed check he goes to Max McGee and he's like you know Lombardi wanted me to check your room first you better not sneak out and he said that he practically ran him over because he was fully dressed in a suit under the covers and he goes out <laughs> and I don't think the, the assistant coach told on him and apparently Paul Horning it went off uh, with him as well. So with that being said, um, the next morning, and this is directly from the Hall of Famer himself, the quarterback, <laughs> Bar Star says he goes down to get the morning paper, and guess who stumbles in? Max McGee. This guy comes in. He made breakfast <laughs> with the team breakfast, but yeah, he'd been out all night and he was hungover. Carol Dale and Boyd Dowler, they are the starters at receiver. Uh, the Chiefs cornerback, Fred Williamson, put a mean hit on Boyd Dowler. Separated his shoulder. He's done for the game. And guess who had to go in? Lombardi's calling for Max McGee. And all he does is go out. He has a one-hand catch that was actually behind him. In one hand, he scores the first touchdown in Super Bowl history. He finishes the game. Arguably should have been the MVP. Of course, they gave it to the quarterback. Uh, McGee finished the game with seven catches, 138 yards, and two touchdowns. Hungover. <laughs> Packers beat the Chiefs 35 to 10. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I swear you can't. Uh, and then the following year, of course, they dominated Super Bowl two, and they beat the Raiders 33 to 14. Again, the NFL was dominating. It was AFL versus NFL. 
68, it was supposed to continue. You had the 15 and 1 Baltimore Colts. They were the greatest team since sliced bread. Okay. The greatest team known as the greatest team in NFL history. Super Bowl three comes up. Jimmy the Greek says the Jets are 18-point underdogs in this game. All right. Baltimore quarterback Earl Morrill had taken over because Johnny Unitas had tore a tendon in his arm in the last exhibition game. All Morrill does is go out and win NFL MVP, but they lose the game 16-7, the greatest upset in Super Bowl history outside of that Giants game where David Tyree makes the helmet catch. And Earl Morrill goes only 6-17, of 17, throws for 71 yards and three interceptions. He's pulled in the fourth quarter. Uh, no, he's pulled in the third quarter after two drives for Johnny Unitas. By 1970, he's still there. Unitas is still there. They go 11-2-1. And, and obviously the storyline of Super Bowl three before was the dominance of the NFL, what it was supposed to be. And afterwards, it was all about Joe Namath, the guarantee, and the New York Jets, the you know, the win, the greatest upset. Well, 1970 was supposed to redeem themselves against the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl five. Not exactly the same team. There's no more Tom Maddy and some of those guys, but there were plenty of those guys that played in that game, including Morrow and Unitas. Unitas was still starter at this point, but uh, even he gets knocked out of this game, and they were not doing very well. This was a very ugly game. Dallas led the game 13-6. to Unitas gets picked off by Mel Renfro. He gets hit by defensive end George Andre, and he bruises his ribs. Unitas is done for the game. He's on the sidelines with an ice pack on his ribs the rest of the game. NFL Films, though, shows as if linebacker Leroy Jordan hit him, which, you know, caused him to fumble. It looked like a pretty good shoulder tackle right in that rib area. Maybe it was that on, the, you know, the drive previous. Don't know, but he was out. Unitas, he gets replaced by Earl Morrow. Morrow, not very good, you know, himself, but... Unitas was even worse. Two interceptions. He lost a fumble. He's only three of nine. And 80, uh, 75 of those 88 yards won a, a doubly tipped pass that went to John Mackey that turned out to be a Super Bowl record for a touchdown pass. But Morrow goes 7 of 15, throws for 147 yards, has an interception, no touchdowns, and he has a fumble that he recovers. But um, Baltimore outscores Dallas 10 to nothing, including a game-winning 32-yard field goal by the rookie kicker, Jim O'Brien. So, redemption for the Colts. They finally get the Super Bowl that they were that they missed out on <laughs> uh, two years prior. Uh, yes and no, and it was arguably the ugliest Super Bowl ever. Well, inarguable, okay? The last Hail Mary that with one second left, Craig Morton throws that pass. It gets intercepted, uh, and then that was it, you know, well, you think that that's redemption for him? Well, the, how, check out the storyline on this one. Of course, the 72, 1972 season, Morrill is now with the Miami Dolphins, followed his coach, Don Shula, who had left a year after that Baltimore Colts loss. He coached in 69-70. He's coaching with the Miami Dolphins. 38-year-old backup for Bob Greasy is Earl Morrill. Week 5, Bob Greasy season in the injury seemingly uh he had what a, a fractured leg didn't break it but it was fractured against the san diego chargers moral to the rescue again he goes nine and oh in the regular season here's a bit i didn't know this a first team all pro he's got zonka and mercury morris the first duo to have a thousand yards each he's got jim kick He's got Paul Warfield. He's backed up by defense led by Nick Bonacani, Bill Stanfield, uh, uh, Fernandez, and Jake Scott, and, and Dick Anderson. You know, it, it didn't got to the AFC Championship game against Pittsburgh. I think they were only up by seven points. And the offense wasn't doing that great. They end up beating Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. Yes, the rules were different back then. They beat them 21 to 17. But at halftime, Shula decides to go back to Bob Greasy, who's healed up enough to play. Uh, he didn't agree with the decision, but he said to his coach, I'll go with what you say. 
I mean, that that's one of the storylines of that Super Bowl that I think is just one of the most interesting things in that game. And they beat the Washington football team or Redskins. It's a historical show, all due respect. 14 to 7 in that game. Um, and they finished 17 and 0, only undefeated team in Super Bowl history. Earl Moore started 11 of those 17 games. 11. Yeah. Sticking with the Cowboys theme, though, going back to them and Craig Morton, uh, Super Bowl 12 was played in New Orleans in the Super Dome, and it's going to be the first indoor Super Bowl ever. You got the doomsday defense of the Dallas Cowboys, the orange crush of the Denver Broncos. Roger Staubach versus Craig Morton, his old backup and the guy that used to back him up, back up Morton. Of course, 1970, Morton was the clear-cut starter. The next year, Tom Landry at one point is flip-flopping his quarterbacks. He, he would start one and then start another, and then they they kept flipping them in and out against the Chicago Bears. And then eventually, Staubach is the starter. He's settled upon as the starter, okay? They win Super Bowl six. They beat Miami, and then Morton had been there since 1965, had played 10 years in Dallas. 74, midseason, they go ahead and trade him to the New York Giants, and uh, he stayed there to 1976. During that 1977 season, his first in Denver, he starts all 14 games. There were 14 regular season games at the time. He goes 12-2. and two. They beat Oakland in the AFC Championship game, and then he's got to face his old teammates, <laughs> especially that defense. The media was doing a lot of comparisons between he and Staubach, along with asking a lot of questions about his back taxes that supposedly had been paid. You know, the IRS put his business in the street. But the Cowboys going in as five-point favorites, it was this was probably the ugliest game. All right, but I probably would rather watch this one. Well, maybe, I don't know. It set records for turnovers and penalties and everything. It was bad. It, it was really bad. Morton was terrible. He was 4-15 in that game, 39 yards, and threw four interceptions, setting a Super Bowl mark at the time of seven in his Super Bowl starts. Denver fumbled four times, six turnovers in the first half alone. Now, Dallas, they weren't much better. They had a record six fumbles. Uh, three, they got them back, but still, six fumbles, man. 20 penalties, 12 by the Dallas Cowboys. 10 fumbles by both teams. Another record. And at one time, oh, well, let's just say it, between Craig Morton, who was replaced by Norris Weiss, who went 4 of 10 for only 22 yards, they only picked up one first down passing. One. Of course, Dallas won their game. <laughs> they beat the trash out of them. So much for those comparisons. Uh, the 79 Rams, they were a story in itself. Um, by 79, they finally made the Super Bowl. It was 1974 to 1980. The Rams had been in the NFC Championship game five times in six years. Seven straight divisional titles, but you know they never could get there until 1979. And they were actually the worst team of, just to say it, the worst record of a team that made it to the Super Bowl. They were 9-7. Owner Kyle Rosenblum, who had traded his coach team from back in the day, to the Rams, you know, for the Rams uh, with Bob Ursay. He died in a drowning accident in April of that year before the season started. Pat Hayden, who was the starting quarterback for the Rams, he was 5-5 five and five when he broke his finger on his throwing hand and uh, he had season-ending surgery. Enter Vince Marangamo, who rescued the team. He takes that 5-5 five and five record and he goes 4-1 and one as the starter, including in going into the playoffs and they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Doug Williams nine to nothing in the NFC Championship game. They get to Super Bowl 14 and guess who's waiting for them? The Pittsburgh Steelers, who were older and were pretty much at the end of their run, uh, literally. Um, they led 19 to 17 in the fourth quarter, and Farron Gamos, one mistake he threw, he did not see Billy Waddy uh, all by himself in the end zone, much like Super Bowl three when. <laughs> <laughs> Earl Morrill did not see Jimmy or uh, or on a flea flicker play. He was wide open. Well, you know, fourth quarter, uh, Ferragamo throws an interception. 
and they, they were only down 24 to 19 but the Steelers had not stopped them so but they had to take it almost got one and that was with five minutes and 53 seconds left to go and of course Franco ends up running in for the final nail in the coffin after Bradshaw hits John Stallworth on another bomb and uh, they sealed their doom anyway and then probably one of the best stories I learned about uh, about a year or so ago Bill Walsh versus Paul Brown and so I mean just to make it simple uh, the 12 and 4 Bengals get to their first Super Bowl in Pontiac Michigan and they meet the 13 and 3 49ers who were in their first Super Bowl of course that was via the catch and um, you know the heir apparent Bill Walsh he was the offensive coordinator and I believe the uh, quarterback coach at one time under Paul Brown for the Bengals for a couple of years. And we all credit him for that West Coast offense because the quarterback at the time had gotten hurt. And so they had to, you know, put somebody in that place. But with all the great coaching and offensive innovations that he had, he thought he was going to get that head coaching job. Instead, Paul Brown gives it to Bill Johnson, and he ended up going through a couple of coaches before settling in on future Hall of Fame offensive linemen from those Packers teams, Forrest Gregg, who uh, coached that Bengals team to the Super Bowl in 1981. These are the 81 teams. And then, of course, you have uh, teams that are inquiring about Bill Walsh, and Paul Brown doesn't tell them about it at all. He withholds this information. And then he goes to, and let's just make it simple. Walsh says, I would like to be a head coach in this league one day. And if you're not going to do it, then I, I you know, I, I'd like to be able to go somewhere else to do it. And Paul Brown says, you got, you got to honor your contract. You know, I'm not letting you out of it. Basically, my man walks out, ends up coaching college football for a couple years, gets hired by Eddie DeBartolo with the 49ers in 1979. And the rest is history. And course in Super Bowl 16 the first one held in Michigan uh, they beat Cincinnati Walsh and his 49ers beat them twice during this dynasty period they started the dynasty with a 26-21 win over Paul Brown's you know he's, he's the owner uh, and, and the GM and all that beats him 26-21 in Super Bowl 16 Joe Montana gets his first Hall of uh, his first MVP all right and then after winning Super Bowl 19 against Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins, the Bengals and the 49ers meet again in a game that probably hurt worse because the Bengals were up in Super Bowl 23. Jerry Rice was killing them, but they were still down. Of course, 92 yards later, yeah, they're Super Bowl champs. And of course, they did have to kick off to the Bengals. And that's two for two. <laughs> But I think the even bigger story during Super Bowl 23 was actually, was this, and it, look, Bill, uh, I think Brent Musburger asked Bill Walsh straight up after the game in the locker room during the celebration, was this your last game? Of course, he broke down, Walsh did, in his son's arms, crying his eyes out, because it was his last game as his head coach of the 49ers. Why? This was a pressure-packed year. You know, they barely got back into the playoffs. And there was pressure on Walsh. I think he was going to be fired by DeBartolo because they did not win it the year before. They were the best team in 1987. Of course, Doug Williams, that story would never have happened, I believe, if the 49ers don't lose in the divisional round, have the best record in the league to the Minnesota Vikings. And Anthony Carter tore that defense a new one. Uh, so, um, you know, but there was pressure the next year in 88 to win. Joe Montana got hurt. He, he did not play that full season. And then there's other guys that got hurt. Uh, I think even Steve Bono got hurt. And um, I believe, uh, yeah, Steve Young was there with that ugly face mask at the time. It was campaigning to be the next quarterback of the 49ers. A lot of infighting uh, going on with that team. And there was pressure to win. And they did it. They came back. They did it. They had to go on the road to get it done. Uh, they beat the Bears, I believe, and the Eagles. Oh, no, the Bears beat the Eagles, as a matter of fact. Check that. Check that. Uh, they had to 
beat the Minnesota Vikings. They got revenge on them at home, thank God. And then they had to go to Chicago. They beat Mike Dicker uh, and them boys in that defense. Uh, beat them up pretty good, too, 28-3. So uh, then they go to Cincinnati. And now the next year in 89, it was Blowout City. George Seifert uh, was there for a front seat for that as being the new head coach. And had Walsh stayed for that, then that, that would have been great, you know. But uh, it may have been time for a new voice. Maybe he needed a break. But those were two great stories with those 49ers. Well, that's it. This show has gone on long enough. Thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com. Uh, also, this from ESPN staff writer John Kime. This was dated February 9th, 2024. All right, this year, former NFL players share stories of their Super Bowl touchdowns. <laughs> man, Ricky Pro. Uh, also, this from Barracuda Magazine, Real Man Revisited, Max McGee. And this was archived from the original on July 20th, 2011. Also, NFL Films, America's Game Super Bowl and Super Bowl Memories by Steve Sable. Also, the Sporting News Complete Super Bowl Book 1993 Edition. I'm going to do it right this time. Editors, Tom Dinert, not time. Tom Dinert, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. And finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Also, bellyupsports.com. Again, please go to it. Check it out. Um, the stories, the other shows, especially this one. The stories, the shows, uh, the merch. You know, check us out at bellyupsports.com. And our home base is Megaphone and, of course, the favorites. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Hey, look, I will see you in two weeks, all right? Another show will drop on the 28th. I'm taking a break. We're getting ready uh, for the off season. So you better tell everybody about this show or I will find your house. I'm out. <laughs>